yourself as a tree, enduring severe circumstances, things like cancer, death, things like a, a marriage that for 20 years has been struggling, things like an obstinate spouse, a rebellious child, sin that you have been dealing with over and over and over again. How do we endure? How are we able to do that? This morning, I think Psalm 52 points us to that place, how we endure. So let's go to the Word of God this morning. Psalm 52, to the choir master, Amaskil of David, when Doeg, the Edomite, came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. Say well. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear, and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and sought refuge in his own destruction? But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I will trust, or I trust, in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the God. Hear the word of God this morning. Now, as we come to Psalm 52, uh, we're going to do a couple of things from the get-go. We're going to break it into three sections. And we're going to do that by the transitions that the Holy Spirit gave David uh, in this sermon. The two different buts. So verses 1 through 4, then we get a transition. Verses 5 through 7, then we get our second transition, verses 8 and 9. So if you're looking to divide up, uh, if you're a note taker, those are three solid sections to do that. But also this morning, we're going to be introduced to four different characters in this song. Number one, we're going to get introduced to this mighty evil man. And in a minute, I'm going to give you the historical background for Doeg, because I know all of us are like, who is that? Number two, the second character you get introduced to is God himself. Number three, you'll get introduced to the righteous. And then number four, we'll be introduced to David. So those are our four characters. That's the way we're going to split up our song. But to give us this um, historical background, not all the songs do this, but this one gives us a very clear area in our Bibles to root this psalm in. So if you're wondering where that is, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. And feel free to read along. I'm not going to read those two chapters aloud right now, but I'm going to give you a summary. But just to make sure I'm not saying anything wild, you can look into those two chapters and make sure I'm saying the right things. But what we see in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22 is that David's on the run. He has made his covenant with Jonathan, um, and, and he's fleeing Saul now. He, he realizes, yes, Saul is indeed trying to kill me. I need to get out of here. 
Saul is, is, has gone crazy over power and does not want David to live. He wants to kill David, who, of course, is God's chosen king. And so David is fleeing, right? And, and during this time of flight, he goes into the house of Ahimelech. That's an easy name. Say that five times fast, right? He goes into that house, and as he goes in there, he gets bread for his men, and he gets a sword, right? And the sword that he ends up getting is that sword that he used to cut off Goliath's head. Right? It is that Goliath's sword. He used his own sword. And so he goes in there, he gets this bread, he gets that sword, but there's this weird little thing that we pick up. Doeg the Edomite was there, and he was arrested by God. He had to be detained there for a certain amount of time, and, and we don't know why until we read this song. And so Doeg was there when this was happening. So David flees. He goes out there. Think of severe circumstances, right, like we talked about in the beginning. And here goes David. He's fleeing from there, and he goes into the land of the Philistines. And so here comes David with the sword of Goliath, their champion, on his back. And they're like, wait a minute. Isn't this the guy that killed Goliath? And they sing songs about killing thousands. So David acts like a lunatic, and he starts drooling down his beard, right? And he... he the king is like, don't I have enough of my own lunatics? Why do I need this one? So, so David flees, and then David goes to a cave. This is a man who was celebrated in the streets, who had feasts in his honor. This was a guy who was anointed with oil by Samuel, and this guy's hiding in a cave with dried spittle in his beard. And then, do you remember who comes to David in that cave? It's like the merry band of mighty misfits, right? The people who are depressed, the people who don't have any money, right? They're all seeking David. So this guy who was leading these mighty men now has like the JVB team, right? With him in the cave. And so here he is. No offense to JV, you work hard and you get up to yourself, okay? So, so here he is in this cave and, and he's preparing, right? He's getting ready. He's waiting on the Lord. And then here comes a prophet says, you can't be here anymore. You need to go to Judah and hang out in the forest for a bit. So David goes. And that's where we pick up the story. Because the son of Ahimelech comes running to him and tells him what happened. Well, what happened? I know it's a long intro, but it gives us such good, juicy, historical, concrete evidence for what we're doing. Well, this son tells David what happened. You see, Doeg, who was arrested in Ahimelech's house, goes back to Saul. And there is Saul, he's having the biggest pity party ever known to man, sitting under this tree with his guard around him, saying, why doesn't anybody tell me where David, this, this son of Jesse, is? Why do all my people love him more than me? Why wouldn't someone just tell me where is he? And no one's answering him, except for Doeg. Oh, I know where he is. I saw him at Ahimelech's place. Oh. So Saul brings in Ahimelech. Why did you go to before the Lord for David? Why would you do such a thing? And Ahimelech's like, what are you talking about? That's my job. I'm supposed to do that. I do that all the time. You've wanted me to do that. Why don't you want me to do that now? And Saul is not satisfied. And Saul tells his guard, kill him. And the guard is like, no, we're not going to do it. So he turns to Doeg. Ah, this mighty man. This, this evil one. And what does he do? He takes out his sword and he slays Ahimelech. But not only that, he goes into the city of Nob and he wipes them all out. He takes down a city, men, women, and children. 
So, with that historical context, we pick up in our first four verses. So, David is going to describe Doeg. I know he's in the superscript, right? Right above verse 1, but we don't see his name repeated. I think by the context we can safely say this evil person that David is describing is Doeg. Why do you boast, O evil, O mighty, or why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? Now, when David is going to describe to us Doeg, I want you to be aware of the contrast that will happen at the end. So this is going to be going back and forth, right? I want you thinking back and forth, but it's pretty clear. In the beginning, it's Doeg, and at the end, it's David. Okay, so remember these two characters. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? David is, is actually picking on him here. He's coming after him. Oh, you think you're mighty because you destroyed a priest and you went in and killed men, women, and children? Why are you boasting? You're evil. You have no grounds to boast. He continues to describe Doeg. Your tongue plots destruction. He says his tongue is like a razor because quite literally he went into the city of Nob and he destroyed all those people. He is a worker of deceit, a worker of evil. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. So he's going to put together evil and righteousness, right? The, the two polar opposites. He's saying you are wanting to do evil. This is who you are. Not only are you boasting of it, but it's something that you love to do more than righteousness. This guy is a wicked guy. You like lying more than speaking what is right. Your words devour, oh deceitful tongue. So when you're thinking of Doeg, think of these things. Right? An evil man. He's mighty, yes. But he's evil. His intentions are evil. The words coming out of his mouth are lies. They're evil. He is, he is clearly depicting for us someone who is wicked. The fool versus the righteous. Now we have a say law here, and I know I went to verse 4, but I, I'm trying to give you a description of Doeg. And then we have a say law. Do you remember say law? When we're going through the Psalms, say law means stop, think about it, Meditate on this, right? What a thing to meditate on. How evil this guy is. But I skipped a part, right? You're all saying Andrew just went right over it. He didn't even think about it. But this is what I want you to meditate on. Amidst these horrible circumstances, these severe circumstances, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, wait, meditate on this. What is it he wants you to meditate on amidst all this evil, friends, Highlight this, underline this, memorize this. The steadfast love of God endures all the day. So amidst this horrible, evil person, think about it. Think what day, where David is. He's in the forest with the JV team, right? And he is in there hunkered down, and he just got news that an entire city was slaughtered because of him. And what he says as he's describing Doag is... The steadfast love of God endures all the day. You think you can boast? This is what I boast. Now, for us to consider for a minute, what is the steadfast love of God? 
If you remember any sermons I've ever preached, we talk about this word again and again and again because God wants to remind you again and again and again of this chesed love, right? The Hebrew word for the covenantal, steadfast, faithful love of God for his people. So David says, okay, Doeg, do you want to do all these wicked and awful things? Don't worry, because that steadfast love of God endures all the day. David, in fact, sandwiches, I love sandwiches, David sandwiches this whole psalm in the steadfast love of God. Praise God for that. That we would be reminded of his steadfast love in the beginning and at the end of this psalm. So, we see the introduction then of both Doeg and God in these first four verses. Doeg and his evil, and then God in his steadfast covenantal love. Well, we're going to find out more about God here in a second, because we reach our first transition. So that first section, right, is describing this mighty evil man, and then we get a hint of God's steadfast love. And then in this first transition, we get the coming judgment of God in verses 5 through 7. But God will break you down forever. A few months ago, uh, Pastor Brandon um, preached to us a song called But God. Do you guys remember? Uh, and it was that beautiful song, or not song, but from Ephesians, right, uh, of God saving us even though yet we were still sinners. God saved us. That's a beautiful scripture for us to memorize and to meditate on. I'm going to tell you that this morning we see the other side of that coin. Because yes, it is about the grace of God, but God is not just only grace. God is also fully, all the time, wrath and judgment. A perfect wrath and judgment. So this is what David is, is helping or wanting Doeg to know, wanting everyone to know. But God will break you down forever. This is describing the impending, everlasting judgment of God. Note again, the mighty man. Talked about in verse 1. And now in verse 5, God will break you down forever. Can, can you just think about that for a second? For eternity and the breaking down. So it's not God will break you and then you'll die. No, there's a continuing action of a continual breaking down. Oh, you think you're mighty, Doeg. Wait for eternity. As God breaks you down forever. That's a long time. Forever is a long time. So now David is pointing our eyes to eternity. Here comes this judgment. This impending everlasting judgment will last forever. He will continually break you down. Now, he doesn't stop. That would have been enough. But David wants to continue helping Doeg. See, the Holy Spirit inspired David to write this. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. So it's not only an impending, everlasting judgment, but it's also an instantaneous judgment. Do you, do you see kind of the poetic nature of this? He will snatch and tear you from your tent. Okay, back in that time, a tent could have been a place for safety. That's where you go to bed at night, even when you're out on the field. You know that that's going to be the place that you go to where there's some sorts of, of safety and or comfort. And David is telling Doeg, oh, you think you have comfort there? You think you have safety there. 
God will tear you from that tent. You guys, are you seeing the mental picture? Have you ever tried to grab a child? Maybe not. Maybe no one's ever done this before. Out of a room and they do one of these, right? They're like, no, I know what you're about to do, right? I'm going to contain myself. And that's funny, right? I'm glad we could, we could chuckle for a second, but that's not what this looks like, right? God snatches you. It's instantaneous. It's over. It's a wrap. That's the judgment of God. Even in what you perceive to be safety and comfort, God says, no, you're mine. And then, to just put a cherry on top, he will uproot you from the land of the living. He is not going to miss a root. Like when I go out and weed, and I pull up a weed, and I just pop off the top of it, and I stare at that dead weed in my hand, knowing that the roots are still alive and well underneath the ground. It might look pretty, but I just have this dead piece of grass in my hand, and I didn't do a thing. Because in a day, another one's going to pop up, right? No, God won't do that. God will make sure that every root comes up. He, in his judgment, will snatch you, tear you from your tent, and he will take you from the land of the living. So just, we, we have another Selah here, right? We have another time to stop, meditate, think over this. This impending, everlasting judgment, which will be instantaneous, even in your perceived safety, uprooting every part of you from the land of the living. And so here's my question for you as you're thinking about this. Are you any different than Doeg? How dare you? How dare you compare me to Doak? He killed men, women, and children. And you're going to put me in the same category of Doak? Friends, you know, Doak is dead. This song has no bearing on Doak anymore because he knows the impending judgment. He's experiencing it. My question then is for you this morning, is the impending judgment coming for you? Because if you think you can depend upon yourself to put in good roots, to be righteous, to be holy, you're severely mistaken. And you might say, but I didn't kill anybody. Some of you know where we're going. Well, Christ had something completely different to tell you, did he not? In his Sermon on the Mount, he says, have you ever been angry? take a stab here and say that every single person in this room has been angry. Well, then you're a murderer, is what Christ says. Not me. That's what Jesus said. And so in your heart, then, you're no different than Doeg. You have committed murder just like Doeg. Your, your mouth is total lie. I can almost guarantee your mouth is total lie. Then what does the Bible call you? A liar. You're breaking the Ten Commandments. Well, what is the consequence for sin? It's uprooting from the land of the living. It's snatching and tearing you away from your tent. It's the continual breaking you down forever. That's the consequence of sin, friends. It's death. That's the point. And so this morning, I wonder if you would stop, consider, wait, meditate 
about your own soul this morning and about the impending judgment of God. Now, David is going to continue here, and he's going to talk about the righteous. But before we do so, I think we should stay with Doeg for a second. So, so the righteous will say something about Doeg, and I think this is really important for us to hear. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. So we are seeing here what Doeg's trust was in. What was it in? Was it in this steadfast love of God that would endure all the day? No. No, it wasn't. He trusted in the abundance of his own riches. In fact, Doeg trusted in his works of destruction. The things that he went and killed, all that entire city of Nob, he was, that's where he was saying, that's what I trust in. The works of these hands and what I can do with these hands is what Doeg trusted in. And so that impending judgment are for those who would trust in anything outside that covenantal, steadfast love of God. And so the righteous saw right through Doeg. They said he was not trusting in God for his salvation. He was trusting in himself. He sought refuge in his own hands, in his own abundance, in his own riches. So friends... Sticking with this thought of, of thinking about your own impending judgment, let me ask you another question. If you are like Doeg in that way, are you also, or could you be, like Doeg in this way? Are you trusting in anything right now, this morning, outside of Christ for your salvation? Are you trusting in your good health? We know for a fact that that can be taken away from you in an instant. Are you trusting in how hard you work and the things that you gained for yourself so you'll have all these riches that will take care of you and have the generational wealth to go for the next generation and the next one because of how hard you worked? Friends, look to your example, Doeg. The righteous saw him and he laughed. If you think that that will save you even for an instant, what you deserve is laughter this morning. Because that will not save your soul. Okay, we're going to go to the third person or people that are introduced in this psalm. So as a recap, we have Doeg. Obviously evil, wicked, tongue is full of deceit. He loves doing deceitful things. He's strong, right? This is who he is. And then we see God. And we get described to God this has said, right? This covenantal, steadfast, faithful love of God. In fact, uh, have you guys heard of the Jesus Storybook Bible? Maybe you guys have little kiddos. Maybe you've read that. If you read the description of that love in that little Bible, it is wonderful. The never stopping, never failing, always and forever love of God. That's that love, right? That, that is being described about God himself. But then we also get described about God, his judgment, and his wrath that's coming for everyone who is outside of Christ, right? That is coming, and that could be you this morning. You could be sitting in here in the comforts of these nice squishy chairs with your cup of coffee and mildly temperate room, thinking that you're fine, but not realizing that your destruction is impending. 
But now we go to the righteous, right? So Doeg, God, righteous. It's really important to look at the righteous here in this song because they see, they fear, and they laugh. So we're going to take those points and just kind of unpack them a little bit. When we look at seeing, it doesn't just mean what they've seen with their eyes. It means that they've understood. So they look at Doeg, and they understand God enough to say, Oh man, it's coming. This judgment is coming. We know it will come. Not only uh, do they understand both good and evil Trusting in oneself over trusting in one uh, or in one's God, they, they see these things, they understand them, but then they apply them in fear. So I was with a young couple this week, um, doing some premarital counseling, and we talked about the fact that the beginning of wisdom is what? It's the fear of the Lord. Right? It's the beginning of knowledge. Just read the Proverbs. It talks about it all the time. This fear. But friends, after we read verse 5, I hope you have a little fear. I hope you actually realize who God is and say, yes, he's loving. But oh man, is he wrathful too. And that could be coming for me this very morning. So these righteous, they understood and they feared God. And then there's this weird description. And they laughed. Now my mom's sitting in this room. And she raised me not to laugh at people's misfortunes, Right? And I, I'm sure that you guys have probably uh, heard something similar in your homes. You know, don't laugh at other people's misfortune. Now, there may be a way to do some uh, Hebrew hermeneutical gymnastics here, but I don't think I need to do that. I think when we read here, we understand the fact that amidst severe circumstances, remember I've been talking about that again and again, a whole city was slaughtered by this guy. He is not doing the will of the Lord. He's doing the will of himself. And so here comes that judgment, and they're like, okay, better be ready. Here it comes. You need to wake up to the judgment. These people who have experienced death, a people that they know, they loved. It's almost like you've heard those laughs, right? Or maybe you've had it. When something, God has answered a prayer, and you've been ugly crying for a while, you know, there's snot coming out of your nose, and that laughter is not like a, <laughs> right? It's like an exasperated laugh, thanking God for what he's done. I think that's clear here. And the reality is, the fool will be laughed at. The fool will be laughed at. Because they have placed their faith in something completely outside of the steadfast love. So here are these righteous. They see, they understand, they fear God. They understand who it is that we are to trust. And then finally we come to our last um, transition point in verse 8 and 9. So remember Doeg. Remember how he's described. And now hear David as he describes himself. But I am like a green olive tree in the house God. Ooh, friends, we got to camp for a minute. I got lost. I just got to tell you, I got lost in the rabbit trail of olive trees this week as I was studying. Uh, have you guys done any research into olive trees? They're amazing. And they last forever. I mean, forever. There is a tree right now on the island of Crete that has been alive for two 
thousand years. Now it's in Crete, so we have to, I don't know if we can trust it. Someone who reads their Bible got my corny joke. But it's been alive for 2,000 years. It still has fruit. The fruit is still coming from it. In fact, they took the wreaths uh, from this olive tree and they gave it to the Olympians in Beijing and in Greek, or Greece when they did the Olympics there. This is super cool, right? This tree that's been alive for 2,000 years. And did you know there's this creepy set of trees in Lebanon called the Sisters, okay? I don't know why that sounds creepy to me, but it's like the Orchard of the Sisters. It sounds spooky, right? I won't even tell you. You'll Google it. I know you will. Some of you are doing it right now. Don't do it. But they've been alive for even longer. And there's actually lore that this was what the bird went from Noah and picked up one of the wreaths. Okay, I'm not saying that's true. But that's some of the lore about how old these trees are. So we think of David specifically referring to himself as a green olive tree in the house of God. That's beautiful. That should move your heart compared to Doeg, who's like a weed who's uprooted out of the dirt. And his judgment will last forever. But David, someone who trusts in the covenantal, steadfast, faithful love of God, is not only just the opposite of this weed, Doeg, in this beautiful green tree, but he's been planted in the house of God. Oh, to be planted in the Garden of Eden. Oh, to have roots that go down deep into the word of God and trusting in God. And don't forget that all of trees are symbols of peace. In the Bible, you'll read about trees again and again and again. God points us to trees, remember, like that one out front that has lasted through severe circumstances, right? Has, has dealt with so many things. God points to creation to point us to him. So we see this green, beautiful olive tree in the house of God, this enduring tree amidst the circumstances. Remember David's life. Remember what he's endured up until this point. People trying to kill him all the time. But he endures. Not by his own strength. I mean, the guy has dried spittle in his beard from acting like a lunatic. That's his own strength, right? But the Lord has been sustaining and keeping him and allowing him to endure. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. You know, there's something to note here uh, of, of Doeg. As Doeg runs away from the truths of God and David being planted firmly in the house of God. Something to just think about and ponder but now David's going to move to how is he like this green olive tree? How is he able to endure? Is it because he's this big, strong dude with the sword of Goliath on his back? Well, we know he's kind of a smaller, ruddy dude with the JVB team. So probably not his best shot relying on himself. No, he tells us in, this la in these last two verses how. But I trust, right? I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Remember the contrast. Doeg will, he will trust in God at one point, but it will be as God is breaking him down forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And 
there will be no way for him to repent and to be with God. But David says, unlike Doeg, who, who is doing his own will, I will do the Lord's will. I will trust in him in that covenantal love. David's no stranger to that. We haven't got to 2 Samuel 7 where God comes in and has this specific covenant for him. But he's not a stranger to the covenants of God that have been throughout all of the word of God. He knows it well. He, he has heard it, sung about, and taught he knows this covenantal steadfast love of God for God's people. And that he has a continual trust in. And then he says, I will thank you forever because you have done it. Right? So instead of Doeg suffering for eternity, David will be praising God for eternity. He will praise God as Doeg slaughtered people. He will praise the Lord as he will endure, not by his own strength, but by God's steadfast love. And then the, the application that everyone hates, I will wait for your name. Now this hits so much closer for David than any of us can realize. Because David had multiple times to dispatch Saul. If you go back through First and Second Samuel, you'll see he has plenty of opportunities. Saul quite literally goes to the bathroom in a cave where David is and David could have thrusted him through like nothing. But what does he do? He will wait for the name of the Lord. So hard. I confess. So, so hard to do. Remind me, friends. Encourage me to wait on the name of the Lord as I encourage you. But David says, I will wait for your name, for it is good. Now, if you were taking notes, and you were taking notes about God, and you've heard and wrote down, okay, covenantal love, okay, judgment, do not forget this one. He is good. He is good. He is good. Oh, God is good. David is saying this as men are quite literally trying to kill him. He is able to say, you God, you are good. As I'm hid out in a forest. Waiting on your name. And finally, he waits for the time where he will be in the presence of the godly. Oh, what joy there is surrounded by fellow saints who know God and who worship Him together. And really, there's, a, there's an eternal sense to this as well, as we will praise God forever, and David will praise God forever and ever and ever. So, as I come to the close of this song, I come to application. What are we to do with this? What are we to do with this word of God? We've heard about these four characters. Doeg, God, the righteous, and David. We have understand where they place their trust, where Doeg places his trust in his own abundance and his own riches. And David, who places his trust in the steadfast love of God. And how David is like this beautiful green olive tree. So what is the application for you and for me? Because this psalm is quite literally for you and for me. 
How do we endure our severe circumstances? How do we endure the cancer, the unexpected death, the oppressive sin, the obstinate spouse, the rebellious child, the effects of the fall? How do we endure? We don't do it by our own strength. We endure by the steadfast, covenantal, faithful love of God. If David has taught us anything, it is that we don't trust in ourselves amidst severe circumstances. We trust in the one true God. Now, I don't want to be painting this over super easy. I can hear some of the things in your mind. I can't hear the things in your mind. I'm just saying I can anticipate what might be, you know, what might be your internal monologue here. Andrew, I feel like I cannot take another step. Every day brings new trouble. I'm tired, I'm scared, and I'm angry. The severe circumstances are, are going over my head. Friends, then I ask you this morning to lift up your hand to Christ. He embodied steadfast, covenantal, faithful love of God. The one who came, the one from all of eternity who, between him and the Father, talked and made this plan of redemption. And how this plan of redemption was enacted in him coming to earth, living a perfect life, and being hung on a tree. And as he was put to death, and all of your sin was laid on his back, and as he died and was buried, he could not be kept buried. He raised on the third day, conquering sin and death, and now he sits at the right hand of God as he rules and reigns as our king, but as, as Pastor Joel has been so faithfully working through Hebrews, we realize he mediates. I mean, you guys understand the fact that Christ is there right now waiting for your prayers, waiting for your supplications, waiting for your cries, and he hears them. Thank you, God. He hears them. This is the same Christ who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is the same Christ who says, Are you hungry for bread? Come to me. I am the bread of life. Are you thirsty for water? Come drink from me and you will never be thirsty again. He alone gives you the words of eternal life. And if that's not enough, we go to Psalm 23 and we realize he is our good shepherd. He is the one in your severe circumstances that leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. And not only that, but friend, he is preparing a table for you amidst all your enemies to have you sit and feast for eternity. Friends, that is our hope. Amidst the severe circumstances, the steadfast love of God no matter what is happening, that love endures all the day. I'd be remiss 
not to read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Listen, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Friends, we end this sermon this morning reminding you to trust in Jesus. To thank and be grateful for Jesus. That is easy application, friend. Every morning, wake up and thank God for one thing. You're breathing. Praise be to God. The trees. Your example. Praise be to God. Thank Him every evening before bed. And then, wait for Jesus. Wait for that day when the trumpet blares and our Christ comes. And He comes and we will be with Him for eternity. And those severe circumstances, David waited. He cut a piece of a robe. There was a spear right by Saul's head. He didn't take it into his own hands. Neither should you. Wait upon the Lord. He will hold fast. Let's pray. Oh God, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth, that your steadfast love endures all the day, every day, forever and ever. Amen. We love you, God. We praise you for Christ. We praise you that he, he calls all the sick and the weary to himself. We are the B team, the JV, the downtrodden, the broken, the despairing ones. And we come to you as you put your yoke on us and say, come with me. This burden is light. Father, help us depend on Christ amidst our severe circumstances. Help us be an enduring tree. We pray this in Jesus' name.